0: Hi, my name is Trinity, and welcome to Kids Talk Church History, a -a one-of-a-kind podcast where kids investigate the history of the church. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Has he kept his promise? How has Jesus built and preserved his church against all odds? Come with us on a trip through church history to find the answer, here on Kids Talk Church History.
1: When a monk named Alcuin first met the Frankish King Charles, he might not have suspected how that meeting was going to change the course of his life and leave a mark on European history. Like many before him, Charles was amazed by Alcuin's clever mind and invited him to join a group of scholars at his court. It was the year 781, and that king is now better known as Emperor Charlemagne, Charles the Great. Within a few years, Alcuin's work in organizing the school at Charles's court and in setting up schools in the rest of the region blossomed into what is now known as the Carolingian Renaissance. My name is Lucy, I'm 17, and I live in San Diego, California.
0: I'm Linus, I'm 13, and also live in San Diego, California. And I am Mina, I'm 14, and I live in
1: Kalamazoo, Michigan. Now, we've talked a little bit about medieval England before and the wonderful education promoted by men like Bede and women like Hilda. In fact, some people talk about that time as a 7th century renaissance, but now we have another renaissance that went even further because this one spread throughout most of Europe. Now... The Alcuin we've been talking about before was a very interesting man. He became Charlemagne's top advisor and close friend, and he also wrote poetry and many letters that help us learn about his life and the times he lived in.
2: If you look up Carolingian Renaissance, you can see a very neat type of writing that became known as a Carolingian
1: script. It might
2: be fun to try.
0: You can also use it as a font.
1: (laughs) If you don't feel like writing it.
2: But why do we call that Carolingian?
1: Oh, it could be because Charles, the emperor's name, was Carolus in Latin. Carolus Magnus? Uh, That is how you say it in Mm -hmm. Latin. Uh, But back to Alcuin's school. He emphasized the seven liberal arts. The trivium, which included grammar, rhetoric, and logic. And the quadrivium, which included geometry, arithmetic, astronomy, and music. Some homeschooling families or classical schools still divide their curriculum up like that. Uh, We certainly do in our program at home. What's rhetoric? Well, rhetoric could be defined as the art of speaking or writing well. I don't think we call it like that today in many public schools, but some schools still have debate teams that have to learn the same basic principles.
0: I've read that Alcuin used a lot of questions in his teaching to help the students come up with the answers. He even wrote a book of riddles and questions entitled Discussions Between Pippin and Professor Albinus. Pippin was one of Charles' sons, And Albinus was one of Alcuin's nicknames. That means white, right?
1: Yes, although I'm not sure why they would have called him that. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's something we can ask our our expert later.
0: Does anybody know what some of the questions in the book were?
1: Well, one question in the book was, what is the sea?
0: The body of water or the letter?
1: I presume the body of water.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's really all it is, just a big body of water.
2: Yeah, I would say the same.
1: Well, for Alcuin's answer, he said, The path of daring, the boundary of the earth, the separator of territories, the resting place of rivers, the source of showers, a refuge in dangers, a grace among delights. Wow.
0: <laughs> Do you know any of his riddles?
1: Yeah, I can give you one of his riddles. One of them is, Three there have been, one never born and once dead, another once born, never dead, the third once born and twice dead.
0: I have no clue.
1: <laughs> well, we can continue on with our story now, but if any of our listeners uh, come up with the answer to this, you can go ahead and write to us without Googling the answer.
2: This is all fun, but why was Alquin important in church history?
1: Well, for one thing, he was convinced of the importance of preaching and wanted his schools to prepare future preachers. I've read that at that time, preaching was mostly left to the bishops and that there were not very many of them and they preached mostly in their cathedral churches on feast days, not even on Sundays. Sunday worship included a simple reading from a collection of sermons called hamiliaries. The problem became worse as Charles continued to conquer new territories. More lands required more qualified preachers.
0: Alcuin had a great influence on Charles, right?
1: Yes, and I found it very intriguing how he told Charles to stop forcing Christianity on the nations he conquered, and that Charles indeed listened to him.
2: That's amazing. Most rulers seem to be selfish.
1: Good for Charles. Alcuin also wrote some theological books, but those could be a bit over our heads. However, we have here a wonderful expert who can tell us more all about this. Dr. Robert Evans, chaplain at Radley College, an all-boys boarding school in the south of England. Before that, he lectured in both history and theology at the University of Cambridge. Dr. Evans, thank you for joining us today.
3: Thank you. You already know quite a lot. I'm not sure what I'm going to be able to tell you.
1: <laughs> well, we have a few questions lined up for you here. The first one is a bit of a simple one, but just to clarify for American listeners, a boarding school is very similar to an American high school, correct?
3: Yes, except that the, um, the students all live in the school during term time. Right. So it's seven days a week. Yeah.
1: So... We have a lot of questions to ask, but the first one I'll start out with about Charlemagne is where exactly was Charlemagne's court?
3: Um, I'm afraid that's a slightly trick question because he moved around quite a lot. He was a very energetic man. He ran around Europe building and then running his empire. So he had several palaces uh, that sort of acted as home bases. They're mainly in around what's now Belgium and kind of the area between Germany and France. Quite late in his reign, he built a big palace at a place called Aachen, which is on what's now the German-Belgium border. Charlemagne was getting old, and Aachen had really good hot springs, so could have a really nice hot bath, which he thought would be nice in his old age, and he could sit in the bath and he and Alcuin could talk about stuff. Which
1: was nice. Yeah, so speaking of Alcuin, since he was from England, would he have spoken Latin I'm not sure that the others at Charlemagne's court would have spoken Old English.
3: So so Alcuin speaks Old English. um, But Old English is at that time quite similar to German. And it's German that people, that Charlemagne spoke and that the Franks would have spoken. However, Alcuin and basically everyone involved in running Charlemagne's empire was effectively bilingual. They worked in Latin, they wrote in Latin, they could think in Latin, um, but they also spoke their own languages um, as well. And Alcuin and Charlemagne could probably have understood each other reasonably well um, in both Latin and Old English and Old German.
2: Why do we call Charlemagne Holy Roman Emperor? What do Holy and Roman mean in this context?
3: Very good and very complicated question. So the title Holy Roman Emperor actually only appears in the 12th century among charlemagne's eventual successors so charlemagne was crowned a, simply the roman emperor uh, and that happened on christmas day in the year 800 um, in rome and as the title roman emperor suggested it was simply reviving the title that had belonged to the roman emperors in the days of the roman empire um but why he's frankish why is he becoming The Roman emperor or the emperor of the Romans. Well, the reason Charlemagne was in Rome on Christmas day was, again, there's quite a long story here. Rome in those days was very violent. There was a lot of mob violence and some guys had tried to kill the Pope. The Pope had fled north to go and find Charlemagne to get him to come and help. Charlemagne has dropped everything, come south to Rome, sorted everything out. Um, and when the Pope crowns Charlemagne Roman Emperor, I think it very simply, it's the Pope saying thank you to Charlemagne. At the same time, um, yeah, the whole title Roman Emperor is a bit complicated and even Charlemagne, it, we get the sense isn't quite sure what to make of it. By this point, the year 800, um, Charlemagne has built the biggest empire in Europe since the days of the Roman Empire. People think empire; they think emperor. Um, It's sort of people are already starting to think of Charlemagne in those kinds of terms. So it sort of makes sense. Well, he's sort of he's got an empire, so let's make an emperor. However, um, and this is important for church history, um, Charlemagne was obviously Christian, and the very last Roman emperors had also been Christian. So when people think Roman emperor in the year 800, they're also thinking Christian emperor. And Charlemagne, again, he's acting like that. So I think, well, let's make him, let's give him the title that seems to match what he's doing and what he's done.
0: So why did he have to be crowned by the Pope?
3: Um, He didn't have to be. Um, It's more that the Pope decided to, uh, um, and Charlemagne didn't object. The Pope had also helped to crown him as king way back at the start of his reign, and, and some of his family members, his predecessors as well. All that's really saying is that, a king doesn't crown themselves. They're not kings by their own power, they're appointed by God, and the Pope kind of represents that. Um, And basically, um, Charlemagne had also been quite good friends with the Popes. Um, They'd they'd exchanged letters, they sought each other's advice for things, they respected one another. Um, Although what's interesting is Charlemagne could occasionally disagree with the Pope. They occasionally have um, good natured debates about, about certain theological topics.
0: Is it true that he didn't want to be crowned
3: yeah one of charlemagne's friends says that that's what his reaction was on christmas day um and it's not actually unreasonable because charlemagne doesn't use the title of emperor himself that much um in the same way when you nowadays when you when you sign off an email you might put your job title charlemagne didn't always put emperor he still put king of the franks which kind of suggests that he wasn't Almost wasn't quite sure what to do with this title he'd been given, which fits with him not wanting to be crowned. I mean, after all, no one's been a Roman emperor for 300 years. Um, There's a lot of uncertainty about what it actually involves. Whereas a king, people know what to expect.
1: Mm. And how long did Charlemagne's empire end up lasting?
3: For a surprisingly long time. So Charlemagne died in 814. We normally date the end of his empire, the Carolingian Empire, in 888. Um, so that's 74 years. Now, for a lot of that time, it was divided between members of his family. Um, so there's only a few periods where there's only one person in charge. Um, and the Carolingian family don't always get on. Like many siblings, there's the odd fight and disagreement, but they kind of kept the, the show on the road. Um, and even though the empire eventually broke up into separate kingdoms ruled by different families, the way that Charlemagne, almost the rules he'd set for how you run a kingdom, that kept going for a remarkably long time and basically shaped medieval Europe as we know it.
1: Now, is it true that Charlemagne was unable to read or write? And if he was, why was he calling scholars from all
3: around Europe? Yeah, this gets us to the heart of what's going on with Alcuin. So he could read. Um, he, but he couldn't write. He he apparently tried to teach himself to write later in life, but never really made much headway. Um, this doesn't make him uneducated or stupid. Um, he seems to have had a remarkable capacity for taking on new ideas, understanding them, being able to argue about them. So he had people read books to him. He had study groups. He had basically teaching sessions with people like Alquin. Um, so he was very keen on learning, and that's why he, he was inviting lots of different scholars from all over Europe to his court. Um, and you touched on this in your in your really good introduction. The reason for it ultimately was because Charlemagne knew Christianity depends on a book. Uh, he, he knows that for Christianity to flourish, for people to, to love Christ well, the Bible needs to be made available, it needs to be taught, it needs to be understood. Um, And above all, it needs people, just like we do today, who can teach it and explain it and and study the complicated bits and help help explain them. So what Charlemagne wanted from Alcuin and lots of other people was to to train pastors and preachers and clergy, um, and also to make sure that good accurate copies of the Bible were available for them so um, if you imagine writing the Bible out by hand the whole thing you're going to have mistakes no one is going to be able to copy it out perfectly so by Charlemagne's time there were a lot of mistakes that are kind of accumulated um, and he wanted um, Alpin to basically go and sort out the mistakes and and get us a good copy now we're 700 years away from the printing press so this isn't about getting a Bible into every Household, but it is trying to get a Bible into maybe every church or at least every every city, um, so that people can read it, preach from it, learn from it.
1: So one thing we also mentioned earlier in our introduction was that people in Charlemagne's court uh, used nicknames, and many had to do with famous people of the past. So, for example, Charlemagne was often called David or Solomon. Alcuin was called Albinus, which means white. Do you know why his nickname was Albinus?
3: Yeah, I confess, I actually had to look this one up. So turns out Albinus was a music teacher, a kind of music expert from a few centuries earlier. And Alpin apparently really liked music, and that's that's where the nickname came from.
2: Was it common to use nicknames at that time?
3: Yeah, the guys at Charlemagne's Court seemed to really like them. Um, they were really interested in the past, so they probably really liked um really liked your podcast. Um so I think that's where a lot of these nicknames come from. They're kind of playing playing with history in that way.
2: Okay. If you looked back then, what nickname would you choose for yourself?
3: So the the challenge here is if you pick someone too famous and important, you sound like you're getting above yourself. So it's okay for Charlemagne to be called David because he's in charge, but it's interesting. Everyone else chooses quite modest nicknames. So I'd have gone for, there's a kind of obscure theologian called Prosper, who's a cool guy, but no one's really heard of him. And it's kind of a nice name. So I think I'd pick him Prosper.
2: Would you go back to that period of time if you had the chance?
3: Only if I could make sure that I landed at Charlemagne's court, because it would have been a very long way to walk. Um, Obviously, Alcuin had to get a boat um, to get from England.
1: Uh, Well, before we close, um, is there anything important about Alcuin and the Carolingian court that you'd like to mention or anything else that was especially important in church history around that time?
3: Yeah, I think you touched on this already, but I think what I like about Charlemagne and why I think it's important in church history is is that sense of what you do with an empire. Most empires exist to serve the people that create them, to serve their rulers. Um, Alcuin and Charlemagne and, and the others around that time, they're kind of saying to themselves, no, this empire isn't ultimately about us. Now, they're not perfect, they get things wrong, but but Alcuin and Charlemagne, I wanted to think very hard about how you best serve God and love Christ with an empire, rather than just making it about yourself um, and being selfish, as, as Mina said.
0: Actually, before we close, we're left with the fun questions, which are my specialty. So first, is it true that Charlemagne had a pet elephant?
3: yes. He was called Abu Labas and Charlemagne loved him and had a special house made for him. Um, he was a present from the ruler of Baghdad to Charlemagne. Um, ruler of Baghdad and Charlemagne have become friends by letters. Um, and in fact, one of my best friends is the world's leading expert on Charlemagne's elephant and reckons he's worked out which city in modern Pakistan the elephants come from. Um but yes. <laughs>
0: Also, we read that Charlemagne loved Italian pecorino cheese so much that he took it with him everywhere he went. Is that true?
3: Uh, I love the story. I don't know if it's pecorino, um, but basically Charlemagne is staying with a bishop who gives him some cheese um and charlemagne cuts off the rind and the charlemagne the, the, sorry, the bishop says to charlemagne why are you doing that the rind's the tastiest bit so charlemagne julie tries the rind loves it and then asks the bishop to send him two cartloads of the cheese to his palace every year for um i don't know if he then took it with him whenever he went or whether he kept it for special occasions but yes charlemagne liked cheese
0: so naturally we were curious what your favorite cheese was and what food you would take with you every time you
3: travel. So my wife is French, um, so I really like French cheese. I mean, everyone likes French cheese. Um, There's a particular kind called Old Lille from Eastern France, um, which I really like. The trouble is, it is quite creamy, so I don't know if it would travel particularly well if I took it everywhere.
0: (laughs) Okay, then. Last but not least, how did you become interested in church history? And if you could meet anyone from medieval history, who would it be?
3: So I became interested in church history, um, actually, when I, yeah, when I was in high school, um, and we were studying Martin Luther and the Reformation. And it was studying that that actually really pressed home to me the truth of the gospel, um, reading about grace and, and justification by faith alone really sort of captured my imagination. Um, so I was converted to, to Christ, but also to a love of church history. Um, it's then kind of ironic, I've then falling in love with the medieval church, um, which um, Luther wasn't so keen on. Charlemagne, I think, was was quite different from how things were in Luther's day. Um, so I think I'd quite like to meet Luther. Um, I'd quite like to meet Charlemagne. I'll be honest, there's also lots of people in Charlemagne's day who wrote lots of stuff down that we read and we use as sources for the period, but who um, we don't even know their names. They, they didn't, they were they're anonymous. So there's lots of anonymous scribes who I'd quite like to meet just to find out who they were.
1: And finally... um it is now time to wrap up our podcast so I just want to say thank you for for all your insight uh, Dr Evans on everything we've talked about from Charlemagne to Alcuin to Charlemagne's pet elephant uh, we've learned a lot from you and we hope to have you on again in the future and now dear listeners remember you have an opportunity to win a copy of Simonetta Carr's book church history which includes information about all of the things we've talked about and more you can enter the drawing by emailing your questions or comments to questions at kidstalkchurhistory.org or by visiting our website kids talk church to sign up for updates on the website you will also find past episodes special news recommended readings and more uh, in partnership with the alliance of confessing evangelicals and on behalf of my co-hosts linus and mina my name is lucy thank you for listening to kids talk church history